Hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we take a deep dive into biblical topics in a way that's easy to understand. If you would like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the Bible in a Year reading plan. We also have PDFs available on our website, grove.church. And as usual, if you have questions that you want answered, whether they're whether you're reading along in the plan with us or you're listening along with us, or there's just other questions that pop up about the Bible uh, or different themes or topics or scenarios and different pieces of scripture, we would love to take time to answer those questions on a, as much as we can on a weekly basis. You can send us those questions in two ways. One, you can send us an email and the email address is info at grove.church. Uh, make sure you put in the subject line there that there's a, it's a Let's Read the Bible podcast question or a question for Evan and Aaron uh, or something along those lines so we know it comes to us. Or you can direct message our Facebook page. This is the second way to send us those questions. Uh, jump on Facebook hit uh, the Grove Church, direct message us, and we get those questions there. We're the Grove Church in Washington State. There are several other Grove Churches out there, but that's the one that we get the questions to. So we'd we're, love to have those questions. We're the fun Grove Church. Yeah, we're, so. the, we're the right Grove. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we're the right. All those other- Make gro- it a competition. Those are, we're better. Those are pretender Grove Churches. Yeah. Um, anyway, Fake. it is funny how like, when we changed, so we changed our name to the Grove Church in 2013. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking like, no one's named the Grove Church anymore. Right. And even like looking it up at the time, there wasn't really that many. And then now it's like, it's- There's quite a few. It's popular enough that John Christ made fun of the name on a video, if you saw Thanks, that. Thanks, John Christ. Yeah, jerk. We, we cried ourselves to sleep that night. The collective staff, we all wept. <laughs> we all wept and tore. We tore our robes. <laughs> And uh, put on sackcloth. Yeah, it was terrible. All right, so today we're talking about Nehemiah, and this we're wrapping up three. our yeah part three of our our story of Zerubbabel, Ezra. You did it, and Nehemiah. Cheer, so cheer the applause and the crowd cheering. Yeah. And then I think we're going to try and get into the New Testament for a few books here because we've been in the Old Testament for a long time. Yeah. So uh, and just so you know, we're, we it, we've done almost all the books of the Bible now. Over the last two years. We're close. So that's this is where we're struggling a bit to what do we talk about next? And so, uh, but we do still have a few books to hit. So we'll, we'll hit those before the end of the year. Which yeah. I can't believe it's October, by the way. We're in October right now. The end of the year is, is coming very quickly, which is crazy to think about. I will say this is kind of off the cuff, but um, we are actually having conversations. Okay, well, what does the podcast look like next year? We are doing it. Don't worry, dear listeners. But you know, like what's the... Oh, I thought we weren't. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. Sorry. What's the content we can do? Uh, what are the type of things you like? So actually, if you would be willing, if you could just shoot an email to info at grove.church and just subject line, let's read the Bible thoughts. If you can just tell us what you most enjoy about the podcast, like what's the content that you like the most? Because it just kind of gives us, not that, you know, it's yeah, not content specific, not necessarily that give us kudos and say, hey, I yeah, like yeah. you guys, but we just, we're just dreaming about what is the, what does that next season of the podcast look like and how do we continue to, to engage the community and grow it? There you go. But let's get to Nehemiah. So as far as resources we're using today, we have, you know, the standard block. So ESV study Bible, Logos Bible software, Reformation study Bible, and then the essence of the Old Testament, a survey by Ed Henson and Gary Yates. I, I need to get back to the essence of the New Testament because Elmer Towns and Ben Gutierrez have been getting no love for us it's true. recently. <laughs> for poor, like the last month. Poor Elmer. It's just been a rough go. We still like you. It's true. All right. So Nehemiah. Uh, it's a continuation of the story that we read in Ezra, and it takes place at the same general time as the latter half of the book of Ezra. So the, the actual story of Ezra, Ezra and Nehemiah mm. are contemporaries, just like Zerubbabel and is it, I forgot his name, it's Joshua, right? Is that the high priest under him? I should have I thought Joshua about that. Joshua was before. a high priest? 
Maybe it wasn't Joshua. Jeshu. Ah, look it up. For Maybe me. Joshua. Ah. I don't know about Joshua. I'm I'm playing. The I don't fool. think Joshua was ever high priest. I'm playing the fool right now, Aaron. I'm looking like an idiot. All right. Well, we'll while Aaron's looking that up, uh, and then the author slash editor of Nehemiah is probably the same person who wrote Ezra. And tradition holds that it is Ezra himself. Uh, the reason we say editor is because a lot of the sections of both books are in first person. So the idea is, whoever's compiling these books probably took either diary entries or just letters written by the people and then actually work them into the book as well. Uh, there is some evidence. I didn't know this. There is some evidence that Nehemiah was a priest. Uh, in the text, there's a list of priests with Nehemiah's name included, kind of uh, just in there, which is interesting. Uh, but also, Second Maccabees makes reference to Nehemiah making sacrifices, um, which given the history of the Maccabees and kind of their whole deal, that wouldn't have been a casual reference if Nehemiah wasn't a priest. That would have been a really big deal that he was offering sacrifices and not a priest. I also should pause here to say that- I was just going to say the same thing. I forgot about that. So over in the, the next room over, our custodian team and facilities, team. facilities teams, a lot of volunteers from the church, they're building shelving for our storage unit. So shout out to them. So you might hear some thump, thump, thump in the background a bit. You're going to hear some hammers and some nail guns. So if you do, just don't worry. We're safe. It's not you. It's us. It's not not (laughs) your neighbors. It's our neighbors. Uh, And then finally, after a few weeks off, um, we're back. And I'm really excited about the beautiful alliterations of Ed Henson and Gary Yates as the outline breaks down to rebuilding the wall, repopulating the city, renewing the people just just wow. hits different bro it it's just true it's different thanks eli it, can you even can you even share the gospel without <laughs> a proper alliteration without your three points yes i matching? think you can yes i think I you can know. all right well the story of nehemiah begins in the court of artaxerxes he was the cupbearer not artaxerxes nehemiah was the cupbearer which means that he was trusted and also fairly high up in the court so your cupbearer is the person who's kind of I mean, it's, it's a little bit like what it sounds like. He's bearing the cup, but he's also tasting stuff. He's making sure stuff isn't yeah. poisoned. Mm-hmm. If you want to poison the king and you have the cup bearer on your side, pretty easy job to have the king poisoned. So you, you, you put someone here that you trust. Yep. Nehemiah here isn't just kind of a low level servant. He is someone mm-hmm. who has the king's ear. Yeah, it's, it's like he's very highly trusted as well. So he's always around, always has access. Um, the king has a lot of respect and favor for him. And we'll see that here in a little bit. But first, we want to kind of give you an introduction. So this is actually the whole first chapter of Nehemiah. It's only 11 verses, so it's not super long. But it says, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, now it happened in the month of Shizlev, the 12th and the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel. So this part is in first person. It's one of those parts. That Hanai, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there is in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire." As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. So to pause there for a second, we live in a society without walls, at least mostly. I guess like on the border, there's walls, but like us in Marysville, we're not like, we're not concerned about the fact that there's no walls around the city of Marysville and maybe Arlington is going to come attack us. If you don't live near here, we live in the city of Marysville and Arlington is the next city over. But 
back in this day, walls were really, it was your only defense. Like mm-hmm. there, there was, there wasn't like all of these different modern technologies today where we feel safe. Um, even like in living in the U S we're pretty much oceans away from anyone who would actually hate us. Cause Canada, you know, we don't always get along, but we're fine. Like we're cool with each other. Mexico, we're cool with each other. It's fine. Like you kind of have to go to like North Korea, China, Russia, I guess Russia is fairly close if you count Alaska, but there's like 12 people that live there. So it's not, you know, they're shout out to the and 12 they, people living. Shout Alaska. out to you 12. And I'm sure <laughs> that you could take on the Russian army on yourselves. Anyway, if you're killing bears, like you do, you can take out a few Ruskies, but anyway. just don't say that to Pam. Just, just so you know, who's from Alaska. That's she, true. She lived in Alaska for a long time. So yep. also shout out to our Russian listeners if there are any of them. But anyway, the point being that we don't, we're not concerned about our lack of walls. Back then your walls was really your best yep. and in some cases your only defense. So the idea that you would live in a city surrounded by enemies without any sort of wall is incredibly dangerous. And anytime, anytime mm-hmm. you want, raiders can just come flying in, riding in. They can take whatever they can want. They can leave and you don't even have time to muster your troops. So a wall is very important. So when Nehemiah hears that the walls are in ruins, the gates have gone up in flames and there's no protection for God's people and his city, he is very dismayed by this. So he says, and I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We've acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes and the rules that you have commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there, I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my, to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in and to fear your name and give success to your servants today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now, I was cupbearer to the king. Thanks, Nehemiah. That's a nice little (laughs) good deal. All right. So I love the way that Nehemiah prays here because Mm -hmm. it's, and this is, this is a constant theme in the book of Nehemiah is repentance. So it's not this idea of like, hey, God, what gives? It's yeah. really this idea of like, we know that we failed in our covenant to you. We know that we were scattered just like you said we would be. But you also said that if we come back to you, that you would restore us. And now we want to come back to you, Lord. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of that it's kind of that whole picture that gets painted. Well, so, I just love, and I just love the fact that, I mean, he even said it like, I have sinned. It's not even like I'm speaking, he's speaking on behalf of people, yes, but he's also speaking on behalf of himself. True. Um, and And I think it's just important to realize and see that you know, again, I read it from sometimes a practical lens or, you know, an application kind of lens. Um, but it's interesting to just to see how Nehemiah, who has position, recognizes, like, I have acted corruptly. Like, I, I have not lived up to the the standard that you've put out there. And he he assumes that guilt on himself, but also at the same time, he, he recognizes the guilt of the people of God and and then has this moment of repentance. So I think 
it's it's really, I mean, this is the heartbeat of, of Nehemiah. You'll see this bleed out throughout, no pun intended, but you'll see this play out all throughout the the, the book of Nehemiah and the chapters that play out. Um, just the reality of his awareness of his guilt and his sin, but also his passion to not just not just live righteously, but restore and see yes. God's people restored. So No, that's absolutely true. And we actually, our question today is kind of about some of the prayers of Nehemiah that constantly come up and you'll see them. It's kind of it's kind of a because I, I I can't think of another book that's like this, but it really is just kind of narrative, 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 and then we stopped and prayed, and then we did this, and then we did this, and then I prayed. Like it's it's a lot of that, so you can tell that Nehemiah is very much conscious of yeah. I want to do right by what God would have us do mm-hmm. in these situations. Uh, so Nehemiah, as we just read, is very upset, and so when the king asks him what is wrong, he tells him. So he's literally Nehemiah is serving the king, and the king looks at him, he's like, hey. What's wrong? wrong? What's wrong, buddy? And he's like, nothing, king. He's like, no, come on. You can tell. I mean, obviously I'm paraphrasing, but the, <laughs> the king is, we said this yeah. last week, the king of Persia is actually like, he's a pretty good guy. Yeah. So all things considered. Well, remember, so. he has so much access to the king as being the cupbearer mm-hmm. that it's almost you you develop a relationship and a friendship and you can understand and read each other's facial expression. Like it, it is this, I think sometimes when we read the Bible, especially Old Testament, um, and even New Testament too, but we we forget the humanity, right? And we forget the the relational realities between characters. Uh, even I feel even I feel even bad calling them characters, right? Because it, it yeah, con- people it yeah. carries a connotation. But um, but again, like the Artaxerxes and Nehemiah, they have a very close relationship because they're high trust. Hey, I'm trusting you not to let me die. <laughs> um, and so there's recognition of like I know something's off. And whether it's facial expressions, I'm a person that wears my emotion on my sleeve. Mm-hmm. So someone can tell when I'm ticked off or frustrated or stressed or tired or or something's wrong. Um, or whether it's just the mannerisms interactions. So um, you just see this high, highly developed relationship that exists and a lot of trust, which leads into a lot more of the, the book. So Well, and it's also very reasonable to assume that Artaxerxes has a lot of sympathy for the Jews. Because mm-hmm. remember, his father is almost certainly a Hashuaris or Xerxes from Esther. Um, now his mother is probably not Esther because the king had a lot of wives, but it could have been. I mean, you never, you never, yeah. <laughs> Again, I mean, you know, the the kings of Persia are relative decent guys, yeah. but um, he he's probably not Esther's son. But what that means is that he is aware of the fact that his father stopped a genocide of the Jews. Yeah, that his father loves a Jew. One of the queens is Jewish, and he's probably spending time in court with Esther. Knows who she is, so. King Artaxerxes is not unfamiliar with the yeah. plight of the Jews, he and he clearly has at least some sympathy for them and has relationship with them because he yep. treats Nehemiah very well. Yeah. Like ne- Nehemiah might be the most well-treated exile that we hear about in the whole Bible because he's, as we'll see here in a second, um, Zer- Artaxerxes just basically gives him like, yeah, whatever you need, bro. Like Free you, reign. You here's go, a blank check. You're the governor now. Go do what needs to be done. Yeah, like you said, here's a blank check. All anyone tries to stop you, here's a letter in my name. Make it so. So a little bit of a little bit of Star yeah. Trek in there. But <laughs> anyway, let's keep moving. Uh, so after Nehemiah returned to Jerusalem, this is where the story really picks up. So he's made the governor of Judah, and he tells the people of his plan to rebuild the walls of the city, and they get straight to work. And then we get a nice screeching halt as chapter three gives us the list of the people who are working on the project. So, hey, I mean, that's cool, I guess. It's like yeah. when you get your name in the credits of a movie. It's yes. just like, but it would be like if the movie stopped and then the rolled, rolled, right rolled the credits and then it just kept going <laughs> is essentially what happens here. But hey. All scripture is God breathing is useful for teaching. So there you go. Let's check out, check out. If your name was in the Bible, you'd be bummed 
if people skipped over that when they read. <laughs> so, you know, read the names, give those people their props. It's a good, it's a good deal. <laughs> Uh, so then in chapter four, this is where we start to see some of the opposition to the project. So the surrounding rulers are beginning to threaten the people and ridicule their work. Uh, but Nehemiah actually, he's not, he's not just going to sit down and take it. He's got a plan. And so it says in Nehemiah four, starting in verse 21. So we labored at the work and half of them held spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, let every man and servant pass the night within Jerusalem that they may guard, uh, be a guard for us by night and by late and my may labor by day. So neither I, nor my brothers, nor my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes, except each kept his weapon in the, in his right hand. So essentially he's posting guards. He's saying, stay armed this entire time, stay within Jerusalem. Don't go back out to the outskirts. And then he's saying like, essentially when it says we, we didn't take off our clothes, he means like they're, they're staying dressed yeah. for work and for battle and they have their weapons ready to go. So if raiders decide to come in, if any of the surrounding rulers are like, okay, we're going to put a stop to this, they can instantly stand up yep. and be ready to fight. So it's a good deal. Not like uh, the Hessians on Christmas day in 1776. So it's a little deep cut, a little history cut there. When uh, You lost me. Oh, they were like... Again, I'm not the history guy. I'm not the walking encyclopedia that you are. Oh, right? so the famous like Washington crossing the <laughs> Delaware, the whole reason they went is because the Hessians were like partying because it was Christmas and a bunch of them were like drunk and hungover. So they kind of just went into the city and they just took the city really fast because everyone was like, oh, oh, dang, they were caught off guard. So hmm. there's your lesson, folks. Christmas is fun, but don't party too hard because you never know <laughs> if you're going to be The moral attacked. of the story is. Oh, man. Uh, and eventually is the work is finished within 52 days. And then Nehemiah gives credit where credit is due. Which just being honest, 52 days is an insane yes. pace to that. get some walls built. Like that, it, that, that's just remarkable. That's not, and it's interesting because I was reading as I was studying for this, it was, it was thought that Nehemiah's wall didn't actually exist. That it was just like a thing that they said, but like, okay, well, this didn't actually really happen. But then they found evidence fairly recently. I don't remember how long ago it was. I mean, it was fairly long ago in terms of like us, but in the terms of history, it was not that long ago that they found evidence of Nehemiah's walls, which is kind of cool. Yeah. And Jerusalem, there's just a bunch of, there's so many layers of history to it where you have, <laughs> you have so many different temples that you can unearth. You have so many different walls, you can unearth all these different things. Uh, but it says in Nehemiah chapter six. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul. El, El, oh my, Elul. Sorry, sorry, listeners. Should have thought about that one before. Uh, <laughs> in 52 days. And when our enemies heard of it, the nations around us were afraid and felt greatly in their own esteem for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. So there's Nehemiah giving credit. And it, it kind of reminds me of the stories when Joshua and the Israelites are coming in and the people are kind of afraid because they know that Yahweh marches with them. It's kind of this picture here where the people, the surrounding nations is like, okay, you can't just do that on your own. Something's going on here. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many layers to Tobiah, who is one of the neighboring, I can't remember if he's a king or a chieftain of some sort. I don't think he's a king, but anyways, one of the guys who's given him grief and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Era. And his son, Jehoanan, had taken the daughter of Meshulaham. Ah, man, I should have looked at these too. The son of Berechiah as his wife. And also they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. So Tobiah's just a jerk. 
Thanks so, a lot, Tobias. Come on, Tobias. All I can think of is Tobias Fiunke from Arrested Development, but that's a that's another thing. <laughs> uh, so that happens. Wall gets built. People are secure. People are safe. That's the first part of the book is mm-hmm. rebuilding the wall, kind of getting onto that section. The next part is called repopulating the city. Nehemiah, the, Nehemiah, Nehemiah then commissions a census of all the Jews who had returned with Zerubbabel. That's it. The next section is, yeah, literally, it's just, it's That's just, all it it's just chapter seven. And it's, it, it's, I, I want to say it's almost word for word, the same section in Ezra where they list the people that came back with Zerubbabel. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's that again. That's so, so funny. Anyway, there you go. It makes sense. Listeners, you have my permission to skip that part if you want to. Wow, dude. I know. After you just got done saying that all scriptures you Because you've already read it. That's my, that's my, that's my, that's my Are you thing. sure it's verbatim the same thing? It's, ah, it's pretty close. It's pretty <laughs> darn close. Fine, fine. Don't skip it. Read it. Too late. They already did. <laughs> I think, I think you actually already read through this part. All right. Next up, we got renewing the people. This is our final section of Nehemiah. Starting in chapter eight, we see Ezra. Hey, that's the guy from the last book. So, and he- Just so you guys know, Evan has in his notes, hey, we know him, exclamation point in parentheses. It's true. (laughs) Uh, But in chapter eight, we see Ezra read the law before the people. And we get this scene. And it's it's very similar to what we hear about in other points where this happens throughout scripture. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and the scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they had heard the words of the law. So pausing there. This is crazy. Like right. This part of this part of Nehemiah is pretty pretty. In, like, it's not interesting, but it's 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 profound to read through. Right, and it reminds me so much of when it was King Josiah, who I can't mm-hmm. remember who if who reads the law. Yes, but they essentially they yeah, he's up. And that's because he's up late one night. Says, "Hey, bring me whatever." And he stumbles across it and is right. reminded of God's law. And then they're reading the law, and then he's like, "Oh my gosh." We've what have we it. been doing? Yeah, we've missed it. And so Ezra's doing the same thing. He's reading a lot of the people and you can see this reaction is not this angry, like, well, we're not doing that or whatever yeah. it is, but it's the people realizing, dang it, we're missing it again. Yeah. Which is like, you know, you would think after Jerusalem is burned and you get scattered that people would be like, hey, <laughs> maybe we should stop forgetting about the laws. So who knows? But hey, at least they're not worshiping Baal anymore. So that seems- hey, that's silver lining. Yeah, there's at least- at least they're just ignoring one God instead of turning to well, a fake one. Yeah. Instead of turning to the fake ones, they at least got that part mostly figured out. So what are you going to do? <laughs> That's so funny. But essentially they're all crying. They're all weeping. And then they're saying, no, no, no. This day is holy to the Lord. Do not mourn. Do not weep. This day will be a, mm-hmm. a good day. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy to our Lord and do not be grieved. For the joy of the Lord is your strength, which I've is heard that verse before. Yeah, that's in that's in that's, that's in the song. So much too. Uh, it's true, but it it's also like there are some things where we say them too much. I don't want to say too much. We say them so often that we can kind of just take them for granted. For but, sure. But that is a very powerful statement. Yeah. That the joy of the Lord is our strength. Well, and I think it. I mean, it it's important again, and I well, we've said this so many times now over the podcast that I've been a part of it is the idea of like context matters to what you're what you're quoting, what you're understanding from scripture. And the simple statement, like the joy of the Lord is your strength. Like this is not a, this is not a joyous moment for God's people. Like, right. but it's, it's meant to be a joyous moment for God's people because of the restoration of, of the walls, the city of Jerusalem, the, the laws being re, re, reread, 
which should bring conviction. But one of the things that I think is important to remember, like in this moment, they're being told, listen, it's not about you. Like we're reading these things because we're reestablishing God as the sovereign God we worship. And it's this tension. And so it's like, it's not easy to shut off grief and it's not easy to shut off tears. It's not easy to shut off a mourning moment, but it's, it's that reminder of like the joy of the Lord, your strength, like recognize this moment for what it is as a holy moment. And rather than be overwhelmed with grief, let the joy of the Lord fill you and renew you and strengthen you to, to move right. forward. Uh, because it, there is like, I, I think at different times in my life is, is I have moments of conviction where I'm just like, God, I've missed it. I'm so sorry. Sometimes it comes on holy moments where it's like, at the end of the day, I can focus on how I've missed it, or I can focus on the fact that he's still faithful and he's renewing a covenant. He's reestablishing through Nehemiah and Ezra, his reign and his sovereignty and his people, which is a joyous thing. It's meant to bring joy and hope. Um, but sometimes it's very easy to get caught up in, in the emotional turmoil that exists in our own lives. And so it's, it's this moment where it, it kind of feels awkward as I, even as I've read it to, to be told, I, have, I can't, I can't grieve. I can't mourn. I can't weep. Right. And it's not what Nehemiah and Ezra are saying, but it's today is the day that we're setting apart that we're reestablishing like our, our covenant relationship, our understanding of God's law. Let's rejoice in, in a faithful, good, loving, gracious God who's patient with us um, rather than focus on where we've missed it. Um, and I just, it, for me, it gives me hope because it reminds me of like when I miss it, when I screw up, when I forget uh, or I fall short of Romans 3.23, the glory of God, mm -hmm. that there's still hope and grace for me. Um, and so I think that there is such a, a beautiful nuance um, intention created for all of us in these simple verses. But the joy of the Lord is, is that it's just a good, it's a good statement that I remember using as a kid. I remember singing the song, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Joy of the Lord is my strength. Anyways. I don't know that one. Really? Usually we're usually we're pretty yeah. in sync with that. Nope. Huh. Anyways. But yeah, I just think it's a, it's a powerful moment. Um, it's a challenging moment too for the people. Mm -hmm. oh, I think it's just the idea too that, I mean, we hear in scripture that what God really desires out of sacrifice is a broken and contrite heart. Like it's mm -hmm. not about give me the cow. Like yeah. it's, it's really about what does that represent? And I think even as the people are sitting and weeping, while the law is being read, I think God in that moment understands. I mean, he understood before because he's guiding with everything. But the idea is they're legitimately sorry for their sin. Yeah. They are in, yeah. they are repenting and they will be led in repentance here in a little bit. Yeah. Um, but it's kind of that moment of in this moment, let's not mourn for our sin. Let's rejoice. Like you said, let's rejoice that God is forgiving yeah. us. And then, so that happens, like, right? They celebrate. Um, it says that the Levites came to the people saying, be quiet for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. But right after that, Ezra and Nehemiah lead the people in an act of repentance. There's a very long prayer. It's really good. I read it. It's, it's really good. But it's this whole idea of repenting of sins, not just of their own sins, but also the sins of their people, the sins of the nation and continuing to move forward. So it is this picture of joy yeah. and starting from joy and then also recognizing um, the weight of the sin yes. that has been forgiven. So it's really, it's a really beautiful moment. Yeah. And it, it reminds me that it's, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Ooh, like, like it, it is that picture. It is that rejoice in God's kindness. Don't negate or neglect the, the need for repentance. Because when we recognize God's goodness, it should lead us to to recognize where we've neglected the the 
the response and the worship of his goodness right. by, our, by the way we've lived our lives. Repentance is a good practice for us as Christians. And I'm not just talking about, hey, I need to confess my sins to you. Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. What I'm talking about is it's an ongoing awareness of where we've fallen short, mm -hmm. where we've missed the mark, so to speak. Uh, and so that is that kindness leads us to repentance. That's the beauty of God's grace. It's the beauty of his mercy and his love. It's not, you've screwed up. Here's a spanking. Now go sit in your room. It's, man, I love you like crazy. I've given everything for you. Here's where you're falling short. Let me walk with you through this mm -hmm. so you can still know my love even in the deep, in the depths of sorrow and grief. So don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened. Just kidding. Just that's nothing to Just kidding. <laughs> no, that, actually, I love that connection to um, his kindness leads to repentance because that is exactly what's happening here. Okay. Well, getting up to the end here, Nehemiah would actually return to Persia for a little bit. And he'd return and he'd see that the people had fallen astray again. Classic Israelites, <laughs> just Dang a it. real classic move. Uh, and so when he returns, he excludes all the foreigners from the assembly, brings back tithing and the Sabbath. And then the same as Ezra, he disciplines those who had intermarried with the foreign nations around them. So, and again, there's a little bit of question as to whether or not this is all actually good or not. And I, I think it's reasonable to assume that Nehemiah can be flawed. And sometimes just like we kind of landed on uh, Ezra doing things that were a little bit flawed as well. So, but again, that's very open-handed. Mm -hmm. um, it's not a, I, I think probably the most, the most popular interpretation is that Nehemiah does exactly what he's supposed to do. But I think there is some room to say like, does he go too far in places or is this what yeah. was necessary for the people at the time? And that God's, that God's word of being worshiped by all nations and the, and the, in Jerusalem being open to all nations, is that something that's meant to be fulfilled later? So anywho, yeah. but that happens in this final passage here. This is how the book ends. It goes, thus I cleanse them from everything foreign and established the duties of the priests and the Levites, each in his work. And I provided wood for the offering at appointed times and for the first fruits. Remember me, oh my God, for good. Which is a really interesting ending line. Yeah. And I think that's what kind of, I don't, I, I'm, I'm, this could very much be reading too much into it. Um, but I do think that, 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 that sounds like the prayer of someone who's not sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and, totally and, and again, very open-handed, could be wrong on this. I'm reading this in with my own bias of kind of how I'm, I'm viewing the book. But I think there's a lot of hints in Nehemiah that he's not exactly sure on some of the things that he does. And it's the constant kind of saying, and not the prayers. I think the constant prayers are great, but there is this kind of idea of, okay, God, remember me because I'm doing my best. Remember me because I'm trying to do good for your yeah. people, that sort of stuff. So we see those refrains a lot in the book. It's a very human response. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's, it's, I mean, I can't, I think at the end of my life, my hope is that I can like God remember me for the good that I've done because I think Nehemiah knows he's not righteous entirely apart from, you know, obviously his faith in Christ, um, which is again, Old Testament. So it's a little nuance there, but <clears throat> I think there is this, such this deep uh, revelation of humanity in Nehemiah, which I think is powerful. And I think we need to see it. It's remember me, oh my God, for good. Like, <laughs> There's a, there's not a desperate plea there, but there is a, I know I haven't done everything right, but I've done everything with the intent to honor you. Right. Um, and, you know, and even going back to some of the, the things we talked about in Ezra with the s removing the foreigners among the people and, and having this tension of outcasts where he knows the hope that God brings is for all humanity, but at the same time he recognizes people are strict. It's such this, this, 
It's, I think for me, it's the perfect sentence to end the book of Nehemiah, just based upon what I've learned and what I know about Nehemiah. Um, so, but yeah, it's so human. Like, I think that's the, it's a, it's a raw human statement is yeah. what it feels like. Well, and it, so much of what Nehemiah says is reminiscent of the Psalms. And what we see is just kind of, he's at high highs, he's at low lows, and he, there's even some imprecatory stuff in there. Um, but let's, t- let's talk about that in a second. First, what? No. I know, it's a tease. Uh, but first, please leave us a review on whatever device that you are listening on. Uh, the reviews, five stars probably, hopefully. Please do those. Uh, but they help get the podcast- We're not begging out. at all. <laughs> but, the, but they help get the podcast out there to more people. Um, the more people that review, the more people listen, the more the algorithm kind of gets it out to the people. It's really helpful. And the podcast has been growing. It's been really fun to see uh, different parts Definitely of the U.S., but also around the world of people who are listening. You can kind of see where there's pockets of people who might be listening together or church or whatever it is. But really exciting stuff. Uh, and you leaving a review helps that happen. And if you write a review, we'll read it on the podcast. Because, you know, we love you, our dear listeners. And that's just the way we are. All right. So our question today says this. It has always really irritated me the way that the book of Nehemiah randomly stopped for these prayers of, I so did the right thing, God, or show them we're better than them. Basically, Nehemiah comes across to me as a bit of a pompous, holier-than-thou kind of character. He shares that almost Ned Flanders-like quality of a specific <laughs> stereotype of Christianity <laughs> that the rest of us have then either then oh my goodness, that the rest of us then have to either live up to, defend, or laugh off. Help, what am I missing? All right. That's a good That's question. That's awesome, by the way. <laughs> the Ned Flanders. Nehemiah. Nehemiah is the Ned Flanders. Of the Old Testament. <laughs> if you don't know that reference, that's totally okay, too. The Simpsons is not that great of a show. Um, but, okay, so this whole idea of, like we said, all these prayers are coming aside. I think there's a few things to think of. A lot of these are imprecatory. And what, so I, I should explain what that means. I was going to say, define imprecatory. Yeah. So it's the Psalms. Like, if you're reading through the Psalms and it's like, Oh, Lord, you are so faithful. You're so good. Like, oh, Lord, your mercy never ends. Oh, God, where are you? Like, why have you left me? And then there's also this random like, and then, Lord, my enemies just curb stomp them and bash their teeth in. And I hope they die on the side. Like those, like- It, it doesn't actually say those things in the I'm Bible, paraphrasing. but it's Evan's message version translation. There is like, there is something about bashing their teeth. I'm pretty oh, sure. Oh, for sure. Yes. But- Anyway, yeah, I'm paraphrasing. Bash their heads against the rocks or something like that. Yeah. Anyways. Anyway, David basically straight up prays for these people to die. Um, these are psalms that we see where it's kind of hard to figure out, well, where do these fit as far as are these describing like prayers that go to God? Are these describing right things to pray? Are these just describing what David had prayed? So there's a whole list of things. I tend to land on the camp, especially in light of the new covenant, because there were there are paradigm shifts with how we view others from the old covenant to the new covenant. Yeah. I think in the new covenant, um, I think that it's appropriate to take our anger and to take it to God and to process it with God and say, God, that's how I'm feeling. At the same time, I don't think it's appropriate to for us anymore to essentially just call down judgment on people. So, But that's also a very open-handed um, theological question. But like, for, for example- That's going to be next week's question. <laughs> next week, let's talk about the imprecatory Psalms. Uh, but in Nehemiah, so for instance, this one sounds a lot like it. It says, hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in the land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. 
for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So essentially Nehemiah there is straight up praying for them to not be forgiven of their sin. Yeah. Um, so thanks Nehemiah. Yeah. Intense. Uh, but there's also, and I think it's a lot of it comes down to tone as well. Right. So in those ones, was it appropriate? I think that's very up for debate. I think at the time, that's just kind of the way it is. I think now and, and through through post-Christ, I guess is the way to say it. I don't think those are the right things to pray. Um, but at the same time, Nehemiah is constantly saying, oh God, remember from what I've done. Like he said, I think I, I should have looked up the number, but he does it a lot throughout mm-hmm. the whole book. And they can come across as a little bit of him just being cocky and saying, yeah. oh God, I've done all these things. Check me out. Yeah, exactly. And so I think there's a few things to keep in mind. Number one, the very important thing that Ezra and Nehemiah are trying to do here is bring the people of Israel back to God and also bring the nation of Israel back to where it's supposed to be, which is set apart. And that is an old covenant thing. Mm -hmm. Today, there is not as much as some Americans like to think so, there is not one nation (laughs) that, that is God's chosen people. Um, as yeah, I was referencing America there, not like no, I told I was, okay. I was I was contemplating whether I should say shots fired or not. So. Shot out. Oh, no. Hashtag shots fired. It's whatever. But anyway, um, there's not one nation that are God's chosen people. Yeah. It's all nations, all peoples, one God. Let's worship him. In the old covenant, that is not the way it was. Mm-hmm. Israel was God's, God's people. chosen people. Now there was people who were not Israelites who were able to worship God. Like this is what we see with Job and with Moses' father-in-law, whose name escapes me for some reason. Jethro. Jethro. Yeah. I don't know why I couldn't land there. But we do see a lot of characters in the Old Testament who worship God. So it's not like it was exclusive, but the specific calling of Israel was to be a set-apart nation that was different from all the other nations, Mm -hmm. which in that sense, success, because they're very different. Um, But in their differences, they were supposed to glorify God. So the idea that this tiny country could stand up to the empires around it, well, it's like we see in Nehemiah where the wall gets built and they're like, okay, that couldn't have happened without God. It's the same thing in the Old Testament where they say, okay, there's no way that this country can stand up like this without the help of, they'll say their God, (laughs) Aaron just bumped the mic. (laughs) With my headphone, that was weird. Nice. Um, So the people of Israel, though, they had lost that. For a lot of the people, when after the exile happens, a lot of the people who stayed, they just kind of assimilated into the Mm -hmm. into the culture of the nearby people. A lot of the Israelites who went to Babylon and later to Persia, they just kind of assimilated into that culture. They didn't stay set apart, and so part of the struggle with the foreign relationships and with the intermarriage is Ezra and Nehemiah trying to make sure that the people of Israel stay set apart like that. So it's a little bit harder. I don't think Nehemiah is overly the Ned Flanders, I suppose, to put it that way. I don't I don't read most of those prayers as coming across as cocky. I actually read a lot of them as coming across as almost unsure. Um, but again, that just kind of comes up to the tone. But the other thing to keep in mind not to keep rambling, but the other keep the other thing to keep in mind is that the mission that God had for his people in the old covenant is slightly different from the mission that God has for his people in the new covenant. Yeah. And so you always do have to make sure you're looking at it through that lens. Yeah. I don't know if you have anything you want to add there. No, I, I think I, I think I pretty much agree with a lot of what you said. It, it reminds me of Psalm 69 where it says, zeal for your house will consume me. Um, and so a lot of what Nehemiah has, I mean, go back to the start, right? Go back to the the original start of the conversation in Nehemiah where he had this moment of brokenness, this moment of, of <clears throat> excuse me, 
um, heartburn a bit to you recognize his shortcomings, to recognize that he's fallen short. There, so there, in this deep recognition and repentance, there's also passion to make things right. Um, and and so I don't I don't know if I would read the prayers to be this pompousness as much as I would read it to from a passion view or zeal for God, for the the restoration of God's people, for God's people to live righteously, for God to thwart the enemies that are coming against God's purposes and God's people. I think there's something to be said about the Old Testament. Evan already touched on it, so I don't have to hit on it very hard, but the idea that God God's people were set apart for a purpose, um, for God to establish his covenant, for God to establish his favor, for God to establish the, the sovereignty and the identity and the character of who he is so the world would know. And we see this New Testament moment where you all we also realize that God is establishing his people so that the world may know who he is, that the world may know his goodness, his kindness, his love, his favor, his protection, provision, all of the above. Um, so you see these tensions with Nehemiah who's, God, these people are coming against your people. You're, you're coming against your mission. So thwart them, God, de, you know, destroy them. This is some of the imprecatory Psalms, you know, dash their teeth among the rocks, like break them, kill them, sl- whatever it looks like. Like there's just this moment of zeal and and whether it's right or wrong, I think it, it's an old covenant reality. It's an old Testament reality. And the new te- Testament, the new covenant reminds us again, even what Evan said to reiterate reminds you and I that we see th- people from a different point of view. I think this is in F- Philipp, no, not Philippians. Um, I think it might be in Philippians, but the idea that we don't see each others from a from a worldly point of view anymore, oh, right. because Jesus has established a new way, because the gospel has gone gone forth to the Gentiles who are not God's originally chosen people, but God's heart was for Gentiles to be included in the family of God. So, um, so I think you just got to remember context. You got to remember culture. You got to remember what Nehemiah was doing, and remember his heartbeat. Remember the repentance when I remember. And just to apply it to my own life, I remember those moments where I feel like God's really convicted me of certain things. I have a certain passion and zeal that people would live righteously, and I project on them they should live the way I'm living, which can become across arrogantly and pompous. But the reality is there's there's a recognition of sinfulness and wanting to live righteously and wanting to live in full favor of everything God intended. So I think there is some of this un- uncertainty. Again, all of this, like maybe he was pompous and arrogant. Maybe that's why at the end of the book, he says, remember me, oh my God, for good. Uh, because maybe he recognizes, hey, I, I didn't come across right. Maybe I didn't treat people right. Maybe I I said things I probably shouldn't have said or, or whatever that looks like. I think that that's some of the context there. Um, I don't think he was intending from day one to be a pompous Ned Flanders. I do think he had passion to see God's... God's city restored and the walls rebuilt. Um, so we just have to remember some of those things in some of these contexts. Again, doesn't mean you can't be irritated, but God is big enough to handle even the most pompous of prayers. Um, <laughs> the most pomp- That's a nice alliteration you got there. See, I, I've been paying attention. Ed and Gary. You should use it. I'll, I'll let them use it. Hashtag it's yours. Um, you but anyways, I just think that those are the important things to remember. Well, I think that's a perfect place right now to end our episode. This has been a uh, episode of Let's Read the Bible, but we are a resource of the Grove Church, not the only one of the Grove Church. So if you go to our website, grove.church, you can find our past archive of messages, our past archive of podcast episodes, as well as our Life in Them blog. Um, And if this podcast has been a blessing to you and you'd like to financially contribute to the ministry that the Grove Church does, you can also do that. There's a gift button in the upper right-hand corner of the website. But with that being said, so long. We'll see you all next week. Farewell. Have leaders and good night. I'm just kidding. Have a great day. <laughs>